Good evening. It's good to have everyone here this evening. Uh, we'll start our song service with How Great Thou Art. We'll sing the first and last verse of this song. sing be with me lord <clears throat> first second and third first second and third verses i think i have marked here 778 and then we'll have our opening prayer
Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you tonight and we ask that you be with us, Lord, as we just sang as a congregation. We know that we need you and we need you every, every hour, Lord. And we thank you so much for what you've done for us, and we, that we continue to do for us and what you, what you did in, in the past for us with the, with the death of your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that in this new year that we may have a, a stronger church, a stronger faith, uh, that we can just be stronger individuals this year, Lord. Help us to be as resolutions are being set and people are thinking about improvement. Let's, let's improve the things of faith, Lord. Help us to be better Christians this year than we were last year. Help us to talk to others about Jesus more this year than we did last year. Help us to be better spouses. Help us to be better families. Help us to be better students and, and, and things that would that be pleasing to you. Um, help us as a congregation to shine in the community even more than we did last year, Lord. And we, we pray that we always will seek this improvement and that we will always, we will always strive for excellence, Lord, as it pertains to the things of, of spiritual matters. We pray for the congregation that meets here and its leadership, Lord. We pray that you continue to bless the leaders that are here. We pray for the elders and the deacons and the, the many families. We pray especially for the children here, Lord, and, and happy marriages, Lord. We pray that you bless the marriages here within this congregation. We pray that you'll, you'll watch over our services here this evening and that the things that are said and the things that we do in worship may be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Pray that you may watch over us as we leave this place this evening, if it be your will. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This will be the song before the scripture reading and lesson this evening. Let us sing. I heard an old, old story How Savior came from glory How he gave his life upon Calvary To save a like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood of me Then I began to 
This evening's scripture reading will be taken from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Good evening. Looks like we have a really good number in spite of the winter weather warning, which uh, I'm, I'm a little in shock of. I can't believe that it was in the 60s this morning and it's supposed to drop 40 degrees and we're going to have a bunch of snow tomorrow, uh, so they say. But uh, that's, uh, that's Tennessee weather for you, right? East Tennessee weather. So uh, I'm glad that you're here tonight. I know we have several more listening online, tuning in. Um, before we get started, let me, let me give you a commercial real quick. Uh, in a few weeks, our college program will start back up, and uh, there's going to be several ways for you to help. There's, in fact, there's a couple of ways uh, this quarter, this semester, that we're doing that, that we really haven't even tried before. Um, first of all, the one you're familiar with is we're going to need meals. And if you're willing to provide one of those, there'll be a sign-up sheet um, Wednesday night on the, um, on the visitor's counter, and you can sign up and, and take a meal. Um, but something else we're doing that we'd really like your help with is some volunteers on Tuesday night to help us out in a couple of different ways. One, uh, to help us serve the food, set it out, clean up afterwards, it's not a huge job, but, um, but, but sometimes it can, if only one person is, is doing it every week, it can start to be a bigger job. Uh, the second thing is I would love if, if maybe a few of you wouldn't mind to come join us on Tuesday nights. We have a great group of college students, um, and it seems like every week we have a new student or maybe a student that's not as comfortable as with getting out of their shell. And, and I can get to most of them, but sometimes I can't get to all of them. So if, if you wouldn't mind to come and eat with us and, and, and do the devotional with us, uh, and, and then be on the lookout. If someone's sitting by themselves and you won't, you know, introduce yourself to them and talk to them and maybe introduce them to another student that you know. Um, we really, I think that would really help us uh, engage with some of our students more this year. So there's a few opportunities to help. If you can provide a meal, if you can help us clean up, or if, or if you can stay at the devotional with us and, and maybe you help us clean up and stay, you can do all together. So anyway, glad to be, I promise, by the way, for tonight um, to get you out in time to get to Food City while there's still plenty of milk and bread. So... <laughs> I've had the opportunity to, to travel to Latin America on several uh, mission campaigns uh, in my life. And I've been to Nicaragua four times. The first time I went to Nicaragua was in 1999. And we went to a village um, outside of Chinandega, Nicaragua. And this was probably the poorest place I've ever experienced in my life. It was, the village was remote and extremely poor. Um, 
most homes didn't have electricity. The, the village itself didn't have any kind of plumbing or sewage, uh, so there was no running water. Uh, everyone just used outhouses. Uh, many homes, most of the homes had dirt floors, and some of the homes were just thrown together with whatever con- construction materials they could find. Um, scrap pieces of cardboard or pl- plastic or some loose pieces of tin um, were just kind of roped together and, and made into a shelter. This was a dirty place. We set up a medical campaign, and people came by the thousands, literally thousands of people came to seek medical treatment. They were sick, they were hungry, and they were desperate. And as we fed and healed their bodies during the day, we fed their spirit, and we taught them about the healing that Jesus offered every night during a, during a gospel meeting. And during that week, dozens of people put Christ on in baptism. Uh, they, they had absolutely nothing, and they realized how much they needed Jesus. A couple of years later, I went back to Nicaragua. This time, it was after Hurricane Mitch had just wreaked havoc on the country. And I went to a town uh, called, a city called El Hicarao. And this city had particularly particularly been devastated. The, the rains had caused a mudslide and just wiped out most of the city. And we set up a medical campaign there, but this time the, the response from the people was, was a, a lot different. Um, instead of the excitement that we saw for the medical care and the supplies we were offering, the, the mood was sullen. Um, Thousands of people still came and they were appreciative, but they were, that their disposition was dejected and, and depressed. And understandably, after they lost everything and are forced to rebuild their lives now in a, in a third world country. And as we were there, we had a gospel meeting and dozens of people in El Hikarao put Christ on in baptism when they realized that he was the healing that they had been searching for. And they realized that the gifts that he offered could not be taken away by a hurricane or a mudslide. Uh, I made another trip to Masatepe, Nicaragua. That was a village that's kind of in the shadow of the Messiah volcano in Nicaragua. And people were hungry for the gospel there. The final trip I made to Nicaragua was a little different. We were supposed to have a medical campaign in a uh, town called Quahinikil. And that was a very tiny village northeast of the capital city of Managua. And on this trip, uh, the Nicaraguan government and customs agents seized all of our supplies, um, luckily giving us our, only our luggage uh, when we got there. So this meant that, that all of our supplies... Um, were tied up. We had camping supplies um, because when we would go to these villages, we would camp in a, in a schoolhouse. So our, our tents, our camp stove, our food, our showers, uh, none of that made it. Our pharmacy supplies, all of our uh, medicines for the, for the clinic, it didn't make it. We could not get it. And then our, our medical supplies and instruments for our doctors, for our optometrists, for our um, dentists. None of those made it. And so 
it's hard to have a medical campaign um, where you camp on site when you don't have any camping gear, um, medicine, or medical supplies. So we were, we were flexible, and arrangements were made with the local church in Managua for us to conduct an evangelistic campaign right there in the capital city uh, for that week that we were in town. So we stayed in the hotel right by the airport, and every day we would go into the neighborhoods and knock doors and tell them about this gospel meeting that we were going to have, and we told them the good news about Jesus. And I was really excited going into this campaign. I was expecting, like I had in the past, people to welcome me into their homes, and we were going to study the Bible for for hours, and that at the end of the week that there would be several people that put Christ on in baptism. And that was not the case at all. In fact, that didn't happen at all. Door after door, we would go and visit these people and ask them, hey, would you like to study the Bible with us? And they would say, no thanks. No, we're, we're not interested. And I thought maybe I was doing something wrong. Maybe I was doing something different. So I asked some of the other teams that were out there door knocking in, in other neighborhoods, are, are you having the same success? And they were. They couldn't figure it out either. One day I met a man and he told me the difference. I knocked on his door and he came out and he talked with me for a little bit. But he told me, you need to go out into the villages outside of Managua. We have everything we need here. We have power, we have water, we have education, and we have good jobs. He said, we're rich here. The poor people in the villages, they, they need Jesus. And I couldn't believe that he was telling me that for a couple of reasons. Um, because, I, first of all, I said, it, it, I guess it's really all about perspective. Because this man was better off in many ways than, than the people in, than a person maybe in Chinandega or El Hicarao or Masatepe. But he wasn't rich. He told me he was rich. Um, on average, a citizen in Managua made about $1,000 a year. Now, that's over double what someone in Chinandega probably made in a year, but that's... I don't think any of us would think that $1,000 a year is, would qualify you as rich. But then most importantly, the people in Chinandega and Masatepe and El Hikarau, the people who, who had given up their lives to follow Christ, they were, they were richer than this man could even imagine. The exclamation of this man reminds me of the exclamation of the Laodicean church that we read about in Revelation chapter 3, if you want to go there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. This is Jesus saying these things. John is writing it. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They said, we have everything we need. We don't need Jesus. We're fine. 
Take that to the poorer places. Take that to the villages that don't have power and water and money. We have everything we need. We don't need Jesus. It's all about perspective, isn't it? The man in Nicaragua told me he was rich. But he had a hard time convincing me because from the perspective of a kid in his 20s at the time, from the United States of America, who didn't really know what rich was, but buddy, I knew what poor was. <laughs> this, guy, this guy was poor. <laughs> he was telling me he was rich, but he was poor. It's about perspective. From his perspective, he was rich. Compared to someone in Chinandega, he was rich. Compared to me, he wasn't rich. It's all about perspective. From the Laodiceans' perspectives, they, they, they were rich. They needed nothing. Uh, not even Jesus. Jesus says in, 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 in verse 17, you're embarrassing yourself. You're, you're embarrassing yourself. You're out there strutting around like you're kings. You, you're, you're wearing the, the finest clothes. You're the toast of the town. And you aren't. You aren't. In fact, you're, you're walking around wretched. People actually pity you because you're so poor, because you're blind, and because you're naked. What are you doing? Can you imagine, have you known people like that who, who have this, this image of themselves that's so off from reality, that they think they're so great and they're so something when maybe they're not quite there? I once knew a kid when I was younger playing basketball who thought he was just the best. He thought he was the best. He was pretty good, but he wasn't nearly as good as he thought he was. Um, he watched the NBA players, and he tried to emulate everything they did, did, and he would trash talk on the court, and uh, people would roll their eyes when they heard him trash talking because he was good, but not as good as he trash talked. And one night, uh, this kid thought he would take this to another level. Um, he went into his bathroom, and he got the clippers, and he decided he was going to shave his head so he could look like Michael Jordan. And I don't want to embarrass this guy because you know him, but I'll go ahead and tell you his name was Tim Haywood. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that kid was thinking because unfortunately... I did not know that those clippers had about 60 seconds of life left in them when I started using them. And so, before they became broken forever, they had enough life to get one swipe down the middle of my head. <laughs> and I got a reverse mohawk, and then they died. And uh, that's when I decided I needed to let my parents know about my plan to shave my head. <laughs> And I remember my dad said, why would you want to do that? Um, you want to look cool like Michael Jordan? He said, well, you actually look ridiculous. <laughs> you look nothing like Michael Jordan. And he was right, you know. Uh, today I can stand up here and admit to you that, that as looks-wise, me and Michael Jordan have very little in common. <laughs> we look nothing alike. And I'm not sure why I thought I could pull off the Michael Jordan shaved head look. I did look ridiculous. I, I thought I was something, and man, I look, I look foolish. And that's what Jesus is saying to Laodicea. You think you're special? 
walking around in the finest clothes, living in this expensive city, going to these expensive spas, banking at the prestigious banks, which, by the way, all these things are reasons that Laodiceans really felt full of themselves because they had all of these things in their city. Jesus says, you you actually look foolish. You look ridiculous. Today we live in a world where many people have it all. Uh, The cars, the clothes, the connections, the memberships, the vacations, the, the homes. We don't need Jesus. And we look ridiculous when we do that. We live in a world where many people have found riches in relationships. They have it all. They have these deeper connections with other people. Friends that they can rely on for anything. People that that they can trust and tell anything to. People that will accept me for me. I, I can let my hair down with them. They won't judge me for the decisions that I've made in my life. I, I don't need Jesus. I have these people. And those people look ridiculous. And there's people who have found riches in higher meaning. They're so educated. We've explained away silly fairy tales like religion. Uh, We know that true salvation comes from within, comes from loving yourself, and that everyone deep inside can be their own hero. And that from studying all kinds of philosophies, we've become smart enough to realize that we do not need Jesus. And they look as ridiculous as a man in one of the poorest countries in the world making $1,000 a year telling me that he was monetarily wealthy. We need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And while the world is screaming at us that Jesus is irrelevant, that he is antiquated, that he is unnecessary, it's our job to explain that he is everything, that he's everything we need, And it's even more important for us to believe that, that he is everything. And we need to be able to show our children that he is everything we need. This semester in our college program, we're looking at reasons why I need Jesus. And if we look briefly in the book of John, I think we'll find several good reasons that we do need Jesus. That we need him in every aspect of our life and every day of our life. And that when we look for Jesus, we're going to find everything we need and everything we're looking for. Just look at John 1. John 1 verse 1, right at the beginning of the book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is eternal truth. People today are looking for answers. Many uh, things in the world just don't seem to make sense, right? And I think there's a lot of, uh, of good-hearted people that are looking for morality. In fact, we could do a whole lesson on this, but I think, I think most people that take a stand for anything are doing it from a place of uh, where they want to do what's good, and I think God put that in them uh, to do what's good, but unfortunately, we don't know how to determine good on our own without a standard of truth. And so we get confused uh, because that, that, those lines of morality are constantly changing. You know, a, a few years ago, there was a movement called uh, Me Too that was supposed to bring to light and stop terrible things that were happening uh, to women. And, and I'm glad that, I mean, terrible things needed to stop happening to women and, and continue to need to stop. 
But yet some of the same people who are perpetuating that movement, when I turn the TV on Friday night for New Year's Eve, are parading their bodies around like objects. We're, we're, this doesn't make sense to me. When I decide to, to create my own morality, there's a lot of questions. And there's truth that continues to, to move. And there is no standard there. Where is the truth? What are the answers in this world of inconsistencies? We're enlightened enough. We're enlightened enough to set our own morality. We, we, can, we can tell you what's right and wrong, and, and this is okay. That is terrible and unforgivable. But this okay in the middle, this might be a gray area. No, Jesus says, from my perspective, that looks ridiculous. He is the truth. People today want consistent truth. And we need Jesus if we're ever going to find that. The second verse uh, there in John chapter 1, it says, The Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's deity. He is God. He is worthy of worship. Civilizations across history have always searched for a God, have always searched for something to worship. And if they couldn't find the true God, then they concocted a God. Um, look across the, the Old Testament, and the, the Baal, or, or the, the God that uh, the Israelites made at the, uh, at the base of the mountain. They were always searching for something greater than themselves. Look at uh, the, the Greeks, all the gods of the Greeks. Look at the history of uh, the, the Mayans or, or the Native Americans. Everyone was searching for something to worship, something uh, because there was a realization that there is something out there or there has to be something out there that is greater than ourselves, something to worship. And so now when we say we don't need Jesus, the idea is, well, let's replace that. Let me replace that with me because I actually am pretty great or, or, or I have the potential for greatness. Let me replace that with self. Let me replace that with stuff. Let me replace that with substances. And it only makes that hole even greater that we're trying to fill with God. There's a God-sized hole in each one of us that, man, we throw all kinds of stuff in there. But without Jesus, we're not going to find it. Look at John 16. Uh, John 16, 33. He says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. How many people in our world today are looking for some peace? How many people in the world today can handle this world on their own? I, I, I cannot. There are too many trials in this world. There are too many traumas in this world. There's too many terrible things happening in this world that haunt all of us. There's mistakes that we've made. There's opportunities that we've let slip past. And then there's evil, real evil that's been done to us, perpetuated on us and perpetuated on people we love. And there's unfairness and there's inequity and there's, there's worry about the future, there's anxiety about the unknown, there's trouble, uh, people who are troubled for the present. And sometimes we wish we could just stop all that noise. 
How can we get rid of all the things that are tormenting us in this world? And there's a lot of people searching for that. And the answer is we need Jesus. We need Jesus. He is the only peace because he's the only one to have overcome the world. Jesus says, I can give you peace because I understand you. And I have overcome all these things. People treated you badly and abused you. I get it. I hurt for you. People treated me badly too, Jesus says. They, They stripped me naked in front of my mother. They dehumanized me. They spit on me, beat me, murdered me. I I see your pain and I hurt with you and I can bring you peace. People are looking for peace and they won't find it without Jesus. John 14, um, at the beginning, Jesus delivers a beautiful description of a place he's preparing for us. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. Verse 4, he says something really interesting. In verse 4, he says, And you know the way to where I'm going. Verse 5, Thomas calls him out on that. (laughs) Lord, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And I understand Thomas Thomas makes a valid point. Jesus describes this great place. Hey, I'm I'm having a Super Bowl party at my place. Everyone's invited. Everything you can ever imagine is going to be there. All your friends will be there. Uh, Just make sure you're on time. You already know the way. (laughs) No, I don't. How am I supposed to get there? So Thomas says, how are we supposed to get here? Jesus gives him the directions in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People today are looking for direction. I just don't know what to do. I'm so lost in this world. I have no idea. There's so many things coming at me. What, What are the right decisions to make? I... I had a, a, a father call me last night and was asking for advice. His daughter's going to be heading up here for school next year, and she's got decisions on where she's going to go. And how do I make the right decision? I know people who are in between uh, job opportunities right now. How do I decide which one I'm going to take? There's so many times that we need direction in our life. And Jesus says, I am the way. That maybe sounds cliche sometimes. Well, you mean Jesus really is going to tell me which job I need to take? Well, I don't know. He can help us. We can pray. We can have direction. We can look at it and decide which of these is going to help me become a better Christian. Which of these is going to help me serve Jesus more? My, uh, I'll tell you, uh, and this will embarrass him actually, but I don't mind to tell him because it's my brother and I don't care. Um, <laughs> my My brother changed jobs. Uh, in fact, this, this week, um, he took a new job uh, and he'll, he, he finished his contract at, at the hospital he was working for and has moved to Mississippi and taken a pretty extreme pay cut. And the only reason being there's a stronger church there with young people where he feels like his kids can grow into faithful Christians. And I'll tell you, I'm, I was so proud of him to, to hear that. And 
Jesus, can you, can you help me find, can you help me make a decision on what job I need to take? Yep, he sure can, if we let him. People are searching for truth. People are searching for so many things. They're searching for truth in this world, but oh, we don't need Jesus. We don't need Jesus for truth. And it's all about perspective, isn't it? We'll find truth within ourselves. We'll find truth in nature. Uh, we'll, we'll find truth in literature. We are uh, woke. We are educated. Our eyes are wide open. We have need of nothing. And just like he told the church at Laodicea, Jesus says, you are so blind. People are searching for deity, but they don't need Jesus. And it's all about perspective, isn't it? We'll find something to worship in the newest, nicest, biggest, most attractive, most expensive, you name it. We're rich. We have need of nothing. And just like he told the church at Laodicea, you're poor. In fact, you're pitiable. People have pity on you for how poor you are. People are searching for peace, but we don't need Jesus. It's all about, it's all about perspective. We'll find peace in relationships, doing things that make us feel good temporarily, uh, doing, finding peace in experiences and, and substances. We can make ourselves happy. We have needed nothing. And just like he told the church at Laodicea, you poor soul, you're still wretched. People today are looking for direction. They're looking for a way, but they don't need Jesus but it's all about perspective. I'll make my own path. I can figure it out on my own. I'll let my conscience be my guide. I don't need any help, and I definitely don't need Jesus. And Jesus says, you look ridiculous. The call of Jesus is clear in Matthew 11. Huston read it for us a moment ago. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No matter what state you are in, I'm ready to accept you. I went on another uh, campaign uh, to Costa Rica. Actually, I was uh, about 15 years old. I went to Costa Rica with my dad on a mission trip. And we studied with, and I, I may have told you this story before. Amanda said, you've told that story before, so you can't. So I'll preface it with, I've told it before. You may have heard this story. It's still a good story. We studied with a man and his wife in their poor village. And it was in the hills near the, the Poaz volcano. In fact, um, several years later, Carrie Van Tyne and several of our college students, we ziplined off of that volcano. It was pretty fun. Um, but anyway, we studied about with this man and his wife and about many different things, and we started studying about repentance. And the man stopped us and told us that he needed to quit his job. And uh, having a job in that community gave him a certain level of wealth, of relative wealth, we'll say that. Uh, he was able to provide meals for his family. He was able to provide a roof over their head. But he said that his job took advantage of people. Um, he told us that his job was to sell lottery tickets in the, in the very poor neighborhoods. And that people would give their last dollars on this hopeless dream of being able to escape their poverty. 
And he knew it was wrong. He felt like he was taking advantage of him. And so he quit his job. Uh, he quit selling lottery tickets. He quit his job and was able to gain the richest inheritance that anyone could hope for. Because it's all about perspective. His neighbors probably saw a steady income, uh, security, some opportunities. But what he saw was an obstacle that was standing in between him and his Savior. It's all about perspective. On paper, we're among the wealthiest, most educated people in the world. But what do we look like to the creator of the universe who, who made everything with his own hands? From his perspective, the, the one who created the beautiful skies and the sunsets and, and the beautiful views that we have from mountains and the, the beaches and all of creation. The one who's going to decide if it snows or not tonight. The one who, who's programmed birds to fly south for the winter. Uh, who programmed us with the instinctual knowledge at infancy to, to nurse for our sustenance. The one who told us how to do that. What does he see from his perspective when he sees me stand, when he hears me stand here and say in our beautiful auditorium that we are among the wealthiest and most educated people in the world? (laughs) I wonder if he grins and shakes his head thinking about how ridiculous I must sound. Maybe he's looking at me the same way I looked at that man in Nicaragua. When he told me, when that man told me he was rich, I was thinking, man, you're rich? You live in one of the poorest countries in the world. How can you be rich? Maybe God looks at me and says, you think you're rich? The place I've prepared for you has streets that are paved with gold. I have a room for you in my mansion. You live in a place I created in seven days out of nothing. I, I create, you, you dwell in a body that I made out of dust. And you think you're rich? Man, you haven't seen anything yet. He says, come to me. Whatever state you're in, because I can give you truth, because I'm God, because I can give you peace, because I can give you a way to the Father. We need Jesus. From whatever perspective you're looking from, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all do in every aspect of our life. If you haven't put him on in baptism to wash away your sins so that you can have that access to the Father, man, why would you wait to do that? Tonight's a great time, a great opportunity to come in faith, repentance, confess, confession, and to put him on in baptism. If you're not here at the building and would like to do that, we'll wait for you. We can stay here and wait. And maybe you have come to a place in your life where things have gotten you've been blessed and sometimes we don't need Jesus as much as we think we do. I wonder what he looks down and and sees from his perspective when we feel that. No matter how much money we have, no matter how much education we have, no matter where we're at, we all need him. If you need him tonight, whatever we can do for you, please come as together we stand and sing.
You may be seated. In preparation of the Lord's Supper this evening, uh, we'll sing, I Come to the Garden Alone, first verse only. Let us sing. I come to the For those that might be taking the Lord's Supper tonight online or here, I'd like to share a few thoughts uh, in preparing you for partaking the Lord's Supper. Um, scripture I'd like to make a comment about, I may not read it, but it comes from 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Um, in uh, one of uh, a book I've got called uh, uh, One Word uh, that several of us have, there's a section of, of lessons on suffering. And uh, one lesson that I've picked out here just to share a few thoughts from, not the entirety of it, but this is what do you see? And from a book written by uh, Stephen Covey entitled The Speed of Trust, which I've never seen, uh, he talks about uh, going on a uh, um, fishing trip, fly fishing in Montana. And he hires a guide to take him. And they get to a stream that where he's going to be fishing. And the guide says, uh, what do you see? And Covey says, well, I see a beautiful stream with the, the sun shining off the, the water. And, uh, and Covey then, uh, and the man sort of says, do you see any fish? And Covey says, no, I don't see any fish. And so the man hands him some polarized sunglasses and says, what do you see now? And he puts on these glasses and see all kinds of fish. And those glasses pro provided a new perspective for him that, that really changed everything for him. And uh, the author of this particular article goes on and says, as Peter writes to Christians who have been scattered across Asia Minor, he reminds them that the Christian perspective on suffering is like putting on a new pair of glasses. And then further on down, he goes on to say, Peter tells them that as they suffer now in Asia Minor, they should anticipate the joy they will share uh, when the glory of, of Christ is revealed. They are, they're hurting now, but there will be a time when they all have undergone uh, what will be worth it. And later on, he goes on to say, in the same reason, Jesus is able to pray, not my will, 
but thine be done before being betrayed, scourged, crucified. He knows the pain that would be involved, but above all, but above all else, he says, uh, he, is, he is there to accomplish the will of his Father and, and to go to the cross for us. Jesus endures at the cross because he's thinking about us. Uh, think of what we can endure when we remain focused on him. Let, let's bow at this time. Father, we be grateful <clears throat> as Christians that we have the opportunities first day of the week to be reminded of Jesus and help us, Father, to be reminded of Jesus each and every day of our lives, what he's done for us. But certainly at this time, we are mindful of, of the cross and the suffering he experienced and thankful that we can partake of the bread which represents his body at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, again, we are thankful for, for Jesus and the suffering he went through that we might have the forgiveness of our sins and we're mindful of the shedding of the blood, uh, the thorn, crown of thorns on his head, the, the scourging, the crucifixion itself. Help us to be mindful of this as, as those partake the fruit of the vine. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we uh, pray then for the giving, uh, I'd like to mention again something I read in this book. Uh, I've been using this book as a sort of Bible study at night, uh, sort of devotion at night before I pray or go to bed. Uh, there was a, a lesson in here uh, not too long ago, and I'm not, I've not done this maybe in, in one way. I have in others, uh, but uh, just like Tim mentioned mission trips and various experiences there, um, there's an article in here talking about a young lady uh, who uh, had a great deal of boldness. And uh, she talked about 15 s seconds of boldness. And what she had reference to is the fact that she would get in a crowd or a group of people, a small group perhaps, and ask people, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, well, how? How did you become a Christian? And then take it from there and teach. And 
I, I, very, I dare say there are many of, of you, if you've ever gone on a mission trip and you've actually, actually done door-to-door -door stuff where somebody's translating what you have to say, you, you're very bold there. You don't have any trouble whatever talking to people. But uh, get back home, it's a little bit different, isn't it? And I, I'd like to do this sometime myself, but maybe something to think about. Let's bow. Father, we're indeed grateful that we live, live in a country that... Again, our economy is various, perhaps, in, in various ways, but we're grateful for those that can work and provide for their families and provide for the needs of the church. We're grateful for the congregation here and its work in reaching out to teach and evangelize uh, locally as well as in foreign countries and supporting uh, many good works. Be with us in our giving at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. been a great service here together. <clears throat> Let's all stand together and, uh, for a closing hymn. We'll sing uh, My Eyes Are Dry. Let us sing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you and give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this congregation and the blessings that you have blessed us with by providing such great teachers to bring us that word, as such as Brother Tim tonight. Pray, Heavenly Father, we can take this word and apply it to our lives and realize that if we're not a child of yours, we are truly poor. Heavenly Father, as we go to our own homes, pray that you'll guide us and direct us, keep us safe, Bring us back to the next appointed time. In your son Jesus' name, amen.